book of Matthew, first chapter. I'll give you a little time to do that. I'll take this moment to light our second Advent candle as we've been working through this Advent season. We are uh, in this series, we called it Love Has Come, to focus the gospel in the Advent. So as we're celebrating, we're not just celebrating the birth of Christ, but the reason and the meaning behind His coming. So as we're doing this, we looked last week at our problem, our sin, that caused the need for a Savior. Today, as we work through this, we will be going a little farther as we look at this promised Messiah and what it means that God promised a Savior and then sent a Savior. If you have found the book of Matthew, we will be picking up with verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests, excuse me, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts, with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared.
appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Turn to the right, if you would, to the book of Luke. Skip over the book of Mark. Go directly to the book of Luke, also in chapter 1. Joseph's encounter with the angel. Let's look now to Luke's account of Mary's encounter. Starting with verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great called the Son of the Most High, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Spirit of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Jump ahead to chapter 2. See the first seven verses there. those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went, also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available. are so familiar to us. We hear them so often in these Christmas times. 
to look on it with fresh eyes as you illuminate it for us by your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you that just as you told Joseph what would happen, did, and you told Mary what would happen, and it did, and these things were the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, Father, we thank you that the same way Broken your word? I have. I think if we're honest, we all know that we have all broken our word. Sometimes we break our word, we break promises, we don't fulfill our obligations because we don't really intend to. We make promises that we have no intention of keeping. Maybe more often, make promises without really thinking about them. We're not trying really to make a promise, but we just kind of throw things out there. Now, this does not include those things that your children will bring up to you that you never said, that they try to tell you, but you promised. No, 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 no. Sometimes we do, but God don't. But the fact of the matter is we do make promises because the more we talk, the more things come out, the better chance there is that we're going to say something, we're going to make a commitment that we're really not thinking through. So the proverb is true when it says, when where words are many, sin is not absent. Sometimes we break our word fully intending, fully intending to keep it. We try really hard. We really want to do the right thing. We say we're going to keep this vow, and we blow it. We're not able to keep it. Sometimes circumstances are beyond our control. We tell our our loved ones, I will always be there for you. Anybody ever said that? It's a lie. You won't. You don't control that. There's nothing that you can do to make that promise happen. Because eventually, all of us will die. Eventually, we run into circumstances that we can't control. And so, we break our word. Now, God makes promises. It's important for us to recognize that He makes promises. But God, unlike us, always keeps His word. He never breaks His promises. He doesn't keep promises that He doesn't intend to keep. And unlike us, there is no circumstance that can thwart His plan. There is nothing that can happen that can keep God from being God that can keep God from being able to fulfill the promises that He has made. As we look at this passage in Matthew, and we see this passage in Luke, our core reality kind of jumps out at us. Jesus came to give us hope, because God keeps His promises. Jesus came to give us hope, God keeps His promises. All four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the very beginning of the Gospel, even the first chapter, make reference to a promise or a statement in the Old Testament. John's is a little less clear, but he speaks of Isaiah the prophet talking about the forerunner of Messiah. All of these Gospels 
that God's name in the Old Testament to his people. Why? Because it's necessary for us to understand that when God says it, God does it. There's no wiggle room. There's no option. There's no changing his mind. God's not like that. We're going to see that a little bit as we go through So here's how this is going to work. As we work through this, uh, we're going to start by just looking at some of the prophecies about the Messiah. You won't turn to there. Come up to there. There's a for you in the program. Uh, in fact, if you're following the devotional booklet that, that uh, we have right now, this week's devotion is all centered on these scriptures. So I really encourage you to get a hold of that to the insights that some of your family members here in real life are putting together. But as you see the Word of God, He's going to bring out to us what the Messiah would be like, what the Messiah would do. Take a little brief look at that. And we'll also take a look at kind of the idea of this prophecy and the importance of it. Paul talks about that in Acts chapter 13. We'll see the writer of Hebrews talk about the importance of us grasping this idea of hope and why it matters, why we can take hold of it. Then we'll work through some observations that, that we have that we can take a look from this about hope, about the promises of Christ. So without further ado, let me just read for you some of these. You can see the, uh, the verses listed in the program. I'd encourage you to read those on your own. We see from Genesis 3.15, confirmed in 1 John 3.8, that the seed of the woman, this serpent crusher, would come, that would crush the serpent's head, would undo the power of Satan. Psalm 110, verse 1, Matthew 22, 41-46, Luke 2.11, all confirm that Jesus is Lord. He is the master, the king. Even before his birth, he has always been Lord. Genesis 12, specifically verse 3. Galatians 3 and 14. Abraham's seed, still Abram in Genesis 12. His seed, the Messiah, the Christ, would come to bless all nations. He would be given through Abraham's line. He would be an Israelite. Eventually, we see that narrowed down to, to a Jew. But he would be coming to bless all nations, to undo the scrambling, the curse, the division of Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. In 2 Samuel 7, we see the Davidic covenant, specifically in, in verses 12 to 16. In Jeremiah 33, 14 to 17, the prophet says, I'm going to raise one up, a branch from David's line. We see this fulfilled in Luke 1, verses 32 and 33. That Christ would come from David's line. That's emphasized in Jesus read. We realize that he would actually be born in Bethlehem. It's, a, it's really kind of an amazing thought. You think about the prophecy that Messiah was born in Bethlehem. Of all the towns in Israel. Bethlehem is a tiny little sheep herder's town that is, I mean, it's like smaller than Fields. Fields is a bustling metropolis. All they got is sheep. That's it. There's no industry. There's no, it's not a hub. It's not some coastal city. Just a little tiny speck. And yet, hundreds of years before Christ comes, we see this prophecy that the Messiah, the Christ, would come to 
specifically from Bethlehem. You see that in, in uh, Micah 5 2, John 8 58, uh, Colossians 1 17, uh, he would be born. But he was not just born there, he was existing before his birth, he was before time. And as we just read in, in Matthew and Luke, he's born actually physically in Bethlehem. Isaiah 40, John 10, both point out that Messiah would be the shepherd of God's people. Interesting that the shepherd of God's people would be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah 8, Romans 9, 1 Peter 2.8 point out to us that the Messiah would cause division. He would be a stumbling stone for those without faith. This picture that we have of Christ, it gives us just a glimpse. There's so many more prophecies. I know it's under 300 some prophecies about the Messiah. Yeah, the 300 some prophecies about the Messiah. I don't think that counts. I don't think it is. Because I don't need to know how many. What we need to know is there's a lot. And these prophecies are all coming together in Christ. And the ones that are yet future, we'll see nine talking about the uh, perfect peace that will come. Those things are yet future when he returns. So the things about the birth of the Messiah have already been fulfilled. Even things like Isaiah 52 talking about his suffering. That was a, a shocker to the Jews in Jesus' time. They couldn't imagine that the Messiah would suffer and die. He came to be the great leader, the king who would lead them in revolution against their oppressors. They didn't quite understand what oppression he was going to save from. So with all of those promises about who Messiah would be being fulfilled in Christ, that confirms his identity, but more than confirming his identity, or I guess in addition to confirming his identity, it confirms something about the character and nature of God himself. That God is always faithful. He never breaks his faith. He always keeps his, his promises. For God, this is why Jesus could, could say, let yes be yes, let me know be no. Don't bother with swearing swear on a stack of Bibles, all those kinds of things. We don't take it seriously enough anyway, but rather than having to be in that place, be like God. Whatever you say, let that be your bond. I don't have to have the caveat of, I promise. If I say it, that needs to lock me in. When God speaks, it's reality. And when we are a reflection of His image, With those things in mind, turn a little farther to the right to the book of Acts. We'll be looking at Acts next year as we work through that series, which is kind of a loop volume two. And in chapter 13 of the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas are in the city of Antioch, and they're, they're having this uh, opportunity. We'll read about it in just a moment. What I, what I want you to notice that as Paul works through who Jesus is, he appeals to the Jews in the synagogue and the Gentiles who are there, they're not of 
Jewish descent, but they recognize that the God of Israel is the one true God. So they are there worshiping God in the Jewish synagogue. And as as uh, Paul talks to them, he appeals to all of them on the basis of what God has promised. The prophecies of God being fulfilled in Christ. Let's, uh, let's start with verse 13. <laughs> Mostly because it's the beginning of the paragraph. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. That would appear to be John Mark. From Perga, they went on to the city of Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, that's how they began their services. They would read from the from Moses' law, they would read from the words of the prophets, they have the Old Testament reading, much like we have here today. The leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Now, if you stop, this was a pretty normal practice if you had a visiting rabbi who, who would come, he would invite them to come and share a word of exhortation or encouragement to the people. So they see uh, Saul and Barnabas here. They recognize them as leaders, as rabbis, uh, as men who are traveling in here and are invited to come and, and share with the congregation. It may go a little differently than they anticipated. Verse 16, standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites, Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. Let me change my emphasis. Getting down the right syllable. Fellow Israelites, and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of our the, the God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. He chose, he made. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. Emphasizing over and over, God did it. God chose, God delivered, God brought them here. It took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Samuel was the first in the office of prophet. We would see it continue from there. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin. Rule 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Let me read that again so we don't miss out on the importance of it. From this man's descendants, David, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. If 
Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you are looking for. But there is one coming after me. His sandals are not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham and God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. People of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophet that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead Paul's making the point that this was clearly a messianic prophecy, which they recognized. And wanted to emphasize the fact that he couldn't be speaking just about David. David, like all of those who would come after him, did actually die, did see decay in the grave, but not Jesus. Therefore, my friends, verse 38, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. The rest of the stuff. Wonder. Terrible. For I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. So Paul walks them through this, and there's so much for us to see in this passage. We'll wait to get to it in the book of Acts. But what we need to see is that first, God made promises to his people. And as he made these promises to his people, his intention was for their good. He had plans for them. When sin entered the system, God was not caught off guard. He had a plan to provide for it. We'll talk about that provision next week. When God made promises to his children through Abraham, through, through Abram, Abraham later as his name gets changed. All of these promises God talks about in advance and then brings them to pass over and over and over again. As we've seen and as Paul refers to, God made promises about sending the Christ, the Messiah, that he would come specifically in a specific way to do specific things die a specific death and be raised to life. So that he could accomplish for 
should recognize is we have faith, the knowing of the thing that we don't necessarily see, but we know it to be true. Then that can give us the hope, because I know it,
So when we pray, God be with us, what we're really asking is, God, be for Be on my side. Take up my cause. That's the, the meaning behind God be with you. So we see this plan that God reveals as he does this, as we're sinning against him. Take that in for just a second. Genesis 3, we ruin everything. Wickedness. We ruin everything that God had created. At least that's how it appears. Now, if you're if, if you're building or you know uh, making a puzzle, and you're a thousand pieces into a puzzle, I'm thinking of my sister loves puzzles. You're a thousand pieces in, and you're so close, and then somebody comes along and knocks over the table, and you got to start over again. How you feeling about that? Probably tough for most of us to keep our tongue. Maybe we keep our tongue, but inside we're stewing. Whatever your plans are, when your goals get blocked, plans get sad. It's a stressful thing. Because you lost control of the situation. Notice in Genesis 2, God knocks on his face.
promised the Messiah, He delivered the Messiah. And God continues to say to His people, I have a plan. It's for you. I will never change. I don't change my mind. One of my favorite, one of my favorite God quotes is, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you are never The same God that made that promise, who was for us in the beginning, reason we are not destroyed. It's the reason you're still taking breath. If you're breathing today, then God is giving you the opportunity to let Him take over. To give up control of your life. To say, Lord, I believe that what you say is true, and I want to hang all my hope on you. The promise of Christ proves God's faithfulness. The promise of Christ is the foundation of our hope. The promise of Christ is the foundation of our hope. Because God never changes and always keeps His word, we have hope. We have a confident expectation of what God will do based on what we know God to have already done. He is faithful to what He says. He is faithful to keep those words in His God never changes, always keeps His word. We can trust Him with our past. We can trust Him with our present. Whatever you're going through now, we can trust Him with our future. In the Old Testament, up until the prophets, throughout the, the first part of the Old Testament, the promise of salvation is very earthbound. The hope of salvation is hoping that God will take care of you in your life, life prosperly here in this world. When the prophets come on the scene, beginning largely with, with Daniel, but we see in, in Isaiah and Jeremiah, as we see the prophets thinking, it becomes more eschatological, having to do with the end of things. So what we know God will do is beyond just this life. There's an eternal quality that begins to show up, so, uh, very pronounced in the prophets. Throughout the New Testament, it's almost the Thank you.
guaranteed by God who cannot fail, cannot change, cannot lie. That kind of hope is lie. It's an anchor for our soul. Therefore, as the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, verse 23, I would encourage you to memorize this. Let us hold unswervingly hope, we claim that we know Christ, we claim, can we claim that we believe, and because we believe, we should have an expectation. The expectation is already ours in Christ. It's been given. Let us cling to it. Holding to it. Not turning aside. Not saying, oh, no, I just don't know if God's going to come through for me. Put it out of your mind. It's a choice. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Why? 